0: Hello, and welcome to the Scottish Music Centre's Amplified podcast. I'm Laura, and each episode I'll be chatting to a Scottish-based musician and finding out about some of the music that matters most to them. In this episode, I'll be chatting to singer-songwriter Lynnie Carson.
1: Hi, Linny. Hello, how are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you doing? Yeah, good. It's uh, lovely to have something in the diary. <laughs> didn't know I was going to speak to a human today (laughs) so yeah it was really nice to be asked to do this so thank you
0: oh it's I'm looking forward to hearing more about what you've picked um but tell me first of all how you've been getting on over the past few months
1: oh yeah it's been a strange old time hasn't it and you're probably sick of hearing musicians lament the the loss of a whole year's worth of gigs but um I'm no different but I have learned a few things about myself like when I did all those office jobs before I did music full-time and I daydreamed into my computer about what it would be like to have all the time in the world to sit at home and play my guitar and did I do that when a global pandemic hit and we all had to stay in no and I'm so annoyed with myself it's like (laughs) You know, give something, be careful what you wish for, hasn't it? It's like, um, I wish I could say I've been really creative and got lots of things done and learned a new instrument, which is another <laughs> thing I plan to do, or learn a language, but yeah, I, I really haven't. I'm hoping for the, a big renaissance next year and lots of art to come out of it yeah. next year in the aftermath.
0: I think it's difficult to be creative in these times and I think a lot of people have been feeling the pressure and I think it's been good for some people who have suddenly sort of discovered that that does work for them having Uh lots of space and time but for other people that is actually the opposite of what they need and so the environment just isn't right and I think I can imagine that that's very frustrating if you're if you want to be creative and that's what your impulse is but it's just not happening. I suppose it's
1: It's interesting in itself to figure out, oh, I'm that kind of person. Yeah. The kind of person that thinks they want lots of time to write and play the guitar, but actually when I get to it, I'm not very good at putting it to use. So, (laughs) hey-ho.
0: Yeah, and also you're not getting the same level of interaction you would normally get with other people whether that's in the form of other musicians in person or the
1: audience in person Uh uh-huh yeah I mean I deliberated massively over whether or not to put out the mini album during the summer which like smack bang in the middle of of, um, the kind of biggest part of lockdown Mm -hmm. and I ended up going ahead and and doing it which was good because it gave me a focus but really didn't know if it was the right thing to do. You also are scared that people are going to be like, oh, you know, check her out, you know, it's a global pandemic on and she's putting music out there as if anyone cares. Do you know what I mean? So um but thankfully the reaction was that people who maybe took for granted the amount of music they were ordinarily able to go out and experience that there was this, this real appetite. Oh great, you, you putting the album out oh, brilliant and You know, are are you going to do a Facebook Live? My God, if I had a pound for every time somebody asked me if I was doing a Facebook Live, I would would be fine. (laughs) I'd see me right into next year. Um, But so that's been really lovely. It feels like people are kind of um, on board with how important music and art in general is. Mm -hmm. And it's a bit like you don't know how good you've got it until it's gone kind of thing. So that's been an amazing thing from my point of view yeah probably the album got a lot more attention and people supporting it because uh, of those reasons. so so that was really cool, yeah,
0: yeah. And I think it'll be one of the first things as soon as it's safe that people will be really wanting to do is like get out there and yeah. actually. Because yep. it's not it's not quite the same online, you know, that there's lots of digital challenges around, <laughs> around mm-hmm. doing a performance online. Right. I think it's good to have something and it's good to remind people that artists are still there and still really keen to work. Just, it's like you say, it's not a substitute for the actual thing that we would all probably no. prefer to be doing at the moment. And,
1: and I think as artists, we are lucky in, in a sense in that, you can still get yourself out there in some way, but I think it's been right, the the, the campaign uh, about our lighting technicians, about the sound engineers, about all the people behind the scenes that make these things what they are, that rightly for once we actually have to think about what life has been like for them during this, and actually the performers are almost at the top of the rung there because there is still an outlet for you in some in some way, you know. Yeah. So big up to our engineers and yeah. our techies out there that, that make it all yeah, that people. Yeah,
0: there's not really an alternative for the people that work behind the scenes. And I think that that's been something that this is really highlighted and i think Mm -hmm. that the general public maybe don't have such a good grasp of because you want music Mm -hmm. and performances to have this kind of mystique around it so that it is like the artist and this kind of effortless sense of performance but what you don't realize is like the weeks of planning that go into a live gig and all the bookers Mm -hmm. the agents the promoters that are in behind there like the fact that you have to to make a gig or a festival work you have to have catering you have to have security you have to have people working in the venue so then you've got to have stage crew and like you say the lighting technicians the sound engineers like you know people are not really aware and in a way nor should they be because that's not the experience of going to a gig but it suddenly brought all this to the fore of you know this very finely balanced ecosystem where each part is relying Mm -hmm. on the function of every other bit and I think this is the thing that everybody's kind of now starting to slowly realize is how much structure is in place behind these big yeah like big shows and small
1: shows even you know absolutely not just someone like that idea of it being an ecosystem is such a brilliant and and concise way of, of putting it and that's why it was, I know I know. it was an old campaign that kind of got dragged up, but that's why it was so infuriating to see, you know, the Tories say, you know, Fatima's next job might be as an IT consultant, whatever it was, because it's so short-sighted, you know, we're talking about the fact that I, I and musicians can't gig means that there's a cleaner who doesn't have a venue to clean right now you know it's so much more complex than it was made out to be yeah, um, yeah. so yeah oh man I've gone political already no, I know, I know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I think it's it's so important because really you know this is the thing with them saying oh you need to take up another job you know and it's not really for people in the arts it's not even about retraining because a lot of people that I know who are professional musicians and whatever capacity in that sector already have like two or three other jobs exactly. that's that's the exactly. thing and they quite yeah. often are the people already holding up the hospitality sector and all these you know because they'll have part-time jobs in bars or shops or restaurants exactly
1: the fund they're exactly. actually and food. that's why it's been a double whammy for us so my safe job in inverted was at a distillery doing tastings and tours um, and the precarious work of being a musician was, mm-hmm. you know, at the weekend. So distillery start of the week, playing gigs at, at the weekend, and the distillery job was unfortunately the first to go. You know, we got we got made redundant. It's just it's not viable to have front of house staff if nobody's allowed in your building. So, and that was supposed to be the safe job. So, yeah, yeah. you know, it's not an overstatement to say that. And if I wasn't married, I'd probably have had to move back in with my mum. I mean, honestly, just yes. that it was, just, it was yep. that bad, you know? Yeah. Um, yes. So, yeah, it can't be overstated how, how hard it's been. So I've come through relatively unscathed, I have to say, Um. So, which I'm really thankful for, so that's good yeah that is it's a one positive yeah
0: <laughs> and I think when one you're <laughs> I know I know you really have to look quite hard these days for a yeah. <laughs> but I think when you're in a position like that and you do feel a little bit more secure I think that's you know probably why the political side of it came to mind so quickly for you because you do kind of you want to be able to, or or you feel like you're more in a position to take on the, the kind of battle for other people who really, really are struggling. It's a, it's
1: a curious thing, isn't it, that you can often be a lot, you find it easier to stand up for other people as you do, as opposed to yourself, and yourself, I think you just, yeah. Um, yeah. I just see some people's situation and it just, it, it just seems so unfair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that we need to make a
0: difference. Yeah, and and there's never, you know, it's never been more obvious uh, than now, I would say. And actually, I wasn't really looking for a segue, but it is quite a good segue into the things that you've chosen, (laughs) because you were saying to me that your kind of theme, uh, if there is a theme, is kind of that these are all songs written by people who are standing up for something or, you know, really kind of putting their heart on their sleeve and telling it how they want to uh-huh. say it so um you want to start with your first one and tell us a wee
1: bit about why you've picked this song yeah absolutely i mean it is a funny thing it obviously just is where my subconscious is just now because i sent you know the email to you in the morning and by the afternoon i was a bit like wow I wonder why i chose this <laughs> <songs." laughs> um but you know talking it out with you is i guess you're right. There is um, it's it's time for the you know music community to, to stand up, make make a fight, whatever. And looking back over the years, the people who have meant the most to me musically are people who write about their ex- experience in life and who, as you say, um, don't shy away from their political um, convictions or whatever. And so the first song I picked was. It's A Hard Rain's Gonna Fall by Bob Dylan, Um, which funnily enough, he kind of does shy away from his political leanings a wee bit. But if you hear somebody like Joan Baez covering that song, um, she absolutely owns it. And even right up to this year, 2020, she's always been, quote unquote, a protest singer. She's always somebody who's um, been on the right side as far as I'm concerned, you know, even releasing a song called Nasty Man about Trump just this year. So that really appeals to my sensibilities. Could be that I grew up in a household where we all have a big mouth and none of it abandoned injustice, and, and we can't shut up about it once we're like a dog with a phone. Um, But yeah, uh, originally written about the Cuban Missile Crisis. Um, and as I say, Dylan himself kind of shied away from the political leanings of it slightly, but he was one of the first kind of troubadours, singer-songwriter with a guitar that I fell in love with, and, and just poured over all of his early stuff massively in the years before I kind of learned to play the guitar and write myself. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that's where I've gone for that one. When you were first
0: listening to it, were you aware of the kind of political protest connotations around it? Because I know that, like you're saying, he himself kind of said, no, no, it's not, it's not about that, I wrote it before, and Mm -hmm. you know, all that kind of thing. So I don't know, when you were hearing it, if that context was available to you, or whether it was just the music really?
1: a, there's a kind of sixth sense and things like that. In art, you might not know this this backstory to something, but it still can give you a, a feeling. And then it's maybe not until on you think, oh, wow, right, and there's that kind of, it's apocalyptic in tone, the way he kind of spits the lyrics out as well. It's very evocative. And although, yeah, as a 15, 16-year-old, I don't think I knew anything about the Cold War. Is that what they even call it? I think that was... Um, so yeah, I wouldn't have known the ins and outs of, of the actual politics of it. And it's not until you know you start to dig into interviews, particularly with Joan Ryans, I have to say, she's given a lot of context to a lot of Dylan's songs, actually, for me. Mm-hmm. Um, she's very good at unpicking it. She's often been there when things are happening and then with him when he then writes about it. So she's in a, an amazing lens for me to look at his stuff through. But, yeah, I think it was just the tone of it, the feel of it. Everything about it appealed to me. It just felt like this was somebody who had something to say. And it's like, well, I would like to be able to do that because I've always got something to say <laughs> And a song. Might, <laughs> a song might give me a platform to do that without just seeming like a big mouth.
0: Yeah, and I think with him as well, like... Uh... Certainly, when I hear Dylan, it's like, you know, it's the eloquence as well. So there's, you know, there's the musical side of it, but there's also uh, the lyrics which are, you know, quite subtly profound. And and I suppose that's kind of like what you're talking about there. You get the sort of impending sense of doom mm-hmm. or the apocalyptic feel about mm-hmm. it, which is sort of just conveyed g- almost gently through the words because it's like very carefully chosen mm-hmm. to get his meaning across. Yeah. You know, without yeah. saying too much, he's saying a lot. Yeah, and it, and it's so
1: effortless. His his songwriting so effortless lyrically. It's so um, sharp. There's not it's lean. You know he's, he just seems to cut through all the flab, and all. It's that's what mm. I always would like to do as a songwriter as well. You know, when you th- you know what you want to say, it's the same with anything writing a speech or a eulogy, yeah. anything you know what you want to say, but whether or not that actually comes out and you actually get that on paper is two entirely different things. Now, I don't know, maybe he thinks so, well, I didn't quite say that right, but to me, mm-hmm. his stuff is. Um, and 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 for decades now, right up to his latest album, it's just so lean and to the point and so easy to to get on board with. I think a lot a lot of the time, I mean, for to me he's a poet, but a lot of poetry I read and I just I don't really understand it and I find it hard to yeah. read it out. But with him it's just there, it's quite stark and I love that first few albums, because it is just him and his guitar. And he has a bit Marmite with his singing. But what I always say to people is go and listen to somebody else singing his songs and work your way back from that, because oftentimes he does hide a good melody <laughs> with his voice. <laughs> so you have kind of have to fall in love with the lyrics first. Um, so, yeah. yeah. I, I just yeah and you, and
0: like you mentioned the cover versions. They are, and actually this has come up quite often when i've been doing these podcasts and talking to different musicians especially singer-songwriters about um like covering other people's work or mm-hmm. using other people's work in some way and everybody seems to have a slightly different take on that you know like whether it's something they like to do some something that they would intend to do or whether it's something they actually actively would back away from um I'm getting the sense then from what you're saying about the Dylan covers and the importance of particularly like Joan Bias's covers for you, like that maybe you've got a, a kind of, your attitude to it might be that it's definitely got a place to, to cover other people's work and oh, that it might yeah, lend something
1: else to it. Yeah, massively. I mean, it kind of goes back to um, growing up in a family Everyone sang. Everybody did a turn at Christmas. What what is the difference between your grand doing a Robert Burns song to me doing a Stevie Nicks song or or whatever? You know, if it's something that you love and that people love to hear you do and you're asked to do it, I don't see what's wrong with that. So then doing a cover, um, for me, like I I discovered Rhiannon, eh, probably the most famous Stevie Nicks song, through... um, cheryl crow so i'm like 17 a cheryl crow album comes out i watch a thing on vh1 and she talks about her influences and and they showed this really tiny clip of a live version of rihanna and i was like you know this is before like shazam and all that i was like oh my god what was that And and it blew me away and i think that's to pass things on like that is a really important thing so you could be covering a song that first off if somebody says is that yours well that's a Massive like thing for you. you think wow like if I covered Emily by First Aid Kit and people say oh, I really like that song Emily of yours and you're like wow well, that's not mine but does that mean that you see my stuff you know on that level so it's a like a big mm. boost to your confidence um, also just yeah just bringing songs to people who that they might not have heard before I think there's a massive place for it um, and you know like live versions of songs some of my favorite versions of songs are covers you know maybe not the original and yeah. Um, yeah so i would always say that there's that there's space for it especially being a musician that's not selling out venues up and down the length of the, to the country i think if you play one really good slightly unusual cover for a crowd that doesn't know you it can just put you in a context for them right that's what you're doing that's kind of just a bit like how you choose the clothes you're going to you know what do the clothes you wear say about the type of music you do what does your album artwork say if you throw in an interesting cover i think there's always a place for that and it's always good fun to hear people um, react to something like that if they don't know any of your songs and they can't sing along and then you give them a chance to get involved that's a really nice experience
0: yeah yeah, way of connect an extra way of
1: connecting. Yeah, I'm not That's cool that. enough not to do covers. <laughs> 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 to do so it sounds like you've got
0: um you're you've got a kind of solid background in performing then because you're talking about your family when you were little and everyone would have to take a turn and things. Um how did you actually get like from from that like enjoying performing when you were wee mm-hmm. to being a singer songwriter and then taking on like
1: writing your own lyrics and mm-hmm. actually composing your own yeah. music and i was really lucky and it was i suppose relatively easy for me to make that transition because my dad was a musician there was lots of guitars lying about the house there was a piano there and you know i got lessons um although I've never been any good at theory, the theory side of stuff, but just I ended up learning to play by ear. Um, And it's not until years later, I realized that I stopped writing my diary around about the time that I learned to play the guitar. And I think it just was a natural progression that the things that I would have been writing about in the diary ended up going into songs. so I've obviously always needed to express myself and yes, yeah. that comes back to, you know, all coming from a long line of opinionated people, we've all <laughs> <laughs> always got something to say. So yeah, the, the guitar um, is just a, you know, a, a tool in that. I'm, I wouldn't say I'm a musician so much as I'm a singer-songwriter. I can sing and I can write and the guitar is a means to an end. You know, it's um, a way of enabling that and I can the piano very badly but enough to to get along get by to what i need it for um Mm -hmm. yeah
0: and did you love it straight away then when you started doing gigs and stuff
1: um i always loved it to a point because i suffered really badly from nerves so afterwards i was always so glad to have done it and wished we could go back and do it straight away again when the nerves weren't there and i've always still maintained that if I could sing the way, if I could sing in front of an audience the way I can sing on my own, I would be a lot happier with things. I'm always finding fault because um, it is still something that is there. Um, so nerves definitely got in the way of, of the enjoyment, but a massive show off. Um, <laughs> and, you know, all my pals would say that as well. So there is definitely something about being the centre of attention that, that appeals to me. So yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't think I could admit that for a long time, but I can now. So I not know to show off in front of this whole pandemic, that's the problem.
0: <laughs> You're storing it all up. Yeah.
1: But my wife's heard it all before. Like, oh no, that's again. <laughs> I need an audience. <laughs> um,
0: and your next your next track that you've picked is by the gossip mm-hmm. so
1: it's so a wee bit of a contrast to the Dylan <laughs> yeah um I mean I think exactly the Dylan one is one in a long list of many that I could have chosen by I think pretty much all male songwriters Ohio Neil Young is probably the other one that I thought about um but I think it's important to remember that are still people out there, musicians, artists out there, talking about real life issues now, that are are happening now and and Beth Ditto was just an absolute force to be reckoned with. She's one of the most incredible live performers I've ever witnessed. Um, She's just so striking to look at and that's even, we haven't even spoken about how she can sing and write yet, you know, and For me, like this song, standing in the way of control, was just so fresh and new when it came out, and God, it's years ago now. It's for eighteen years ago or something. I know. I remember it though, and
0: that's one of the things I thought of. Like you're talking about how iconic she is, Mm. and I remember. That seemed like a bit of a turning point when it came out. Mm -hmm. It was a a really different presentation of music to what we'd been used to just before. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And she just seemed so different as well. And then finding out she was a gay woman too, um, she just really resonates with me. And that that song in particular, which she says she wrote... um, as a kind of um, backlash to I think the in America at the time, they were trying to get passed into law. The, the defining feature of marriage was that it had to be between a man and a woman. And so she wrote this song to try and encourage people into civil action again, I suppose, and to stick together, to do the right thing. And, and mm-hmm. that's anything to do with civil rights in the arts always gets to me. It, it's, I suppose one of the reasons I feel that that the arts exist to make the world a better place and this is a brilliant um example of that also it's just an amazing song as well um and her her vocal style her delivery is just yeah again it's I suppose these are all songs that I wish I'd written Um, (laughs) in a way you know um although my style is nothing like gossip but uh yeah, she's just, as you say, she's a, she's iconic. Um, she's very vivid, you know, you could dress up as her and somebody would know who you were, you know? Yeah, um, And I love that.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, I, again, like, it kind of strikes me about the context thing because I remember that song and I remember it being so huge mm-hmm. at the time. But I don't know if a lot of people especially like really younger people who would maybe be hearing it a lot in like clubs and stuff like that mm-hmm. would immediately connect the two things and obviously the meaning is there but you need to know about it first so um I don't know I, I don't know even really what I'm trying to ask you it's just kind of something that sort of springs to mind again after yeah. the, the Dylan thing you know? yeah I think you're right
1: because I think for years I didn't actually really know that that was really what it was about um, but you see them live and she'll talk about things and oh how the penny drops. So I think again that's that's good music, isn't it? When it just when it gets you regardless, yeah, and then you find out, oh my god, that's something that's really close to my heart. I think that's amazing. Also that you can take even just that line standing in the way of control. I mean, that's just basically a big day who's trying to make you do something that you don't want to do, um, which is brilliant it's empowering mm-hmm. um, and you take it yeah. and that's what good art does you yeah. take it for what it means to you and, and yeah and it helps you it, you know empowers you through it it's a way in to
0: something else you know you, you respond first to the music and then you think there's all these things here that resonate yeah. and then it just means it, the meaning becomes a bit more rounded and
1: it's also that brilliant thing of like somebody who might be a bit homophobic might be like oh I love that song and then you'd <laughs> you know find something out like she's gay or whatever and then they're like well I can't like it now and it's like that's brilliant because it got to you it got under your skin before you allowed your prejudices yeah. to to get hold yeah. of it do you know
0: what I mean? And I love that. that's great. Yeah it makes them sort of take it double take and then question
1: themselves a wee bit. Exactly. Yeah just up that even that pause if it causes a bigot to pause for a second that's got to be a good thing. And if you've been moved by something whether you show it to the world or not, it must make you rethink things yeah. in some way. Even if it's it really subconscious, like yeah. that still is impactful. Yeah. yeah, I think that that progression comes from these tiny, tiny victories like that. Um, when I think of the, the idea of coming out when I was in school would is just, would have been unthinkable. And now there's like kids coming out in their early teens at school, and that is, I feel like we've come such a long yeah. way in such a short space of time. And all these wee victories in, mm-hmm. in, in arts and songs like this, like we're talking about, build yeah. up. They join together and they build up into something substantial. And that is how we progress, I think, as, yeah. as humans yeah. you know, in the world as a whole. so. Um, and that always makes me feel better because sometimes if you watch the news or just look on social media you could be forgiven for thinking things are getting worse and you know the world's a genuinely awful place and yeah a lot of the time it is, but the things are getting better yeah. things are improving yeah. and you know I suppose what I like about these artists and these songs that we're talking about today is that I feel that they've played a role in making the world a better place. Mm -hmm. I remember being at a gig once and the person on stage was talking about their political convictions, talking about something that was close to their heart and somebody shouted, oh, I just got on with it, we just want to hear the music. Mm -hmm. And I thought that couldn't be further from the truth for me. Like Part of the reason I am here is because I believe that this person is a force, um, for goods and of mm-hmm. course for change and that goes hand in hand with the music mm-hmm. you know and I love it mm-hmm. if Fleetwood Mac or Neil Young or whoever say to the Trump campaign no you can't use my music because mm-hmm. to me it matters mm-hmm. I admire the artists who stand up and say no I don't agree with that mm-hmm. and so no you can't you can't yeah. use my music I think that yeah. that's Right. (laughs) I don't know if you picked these with a
0: sort of a a linking structure in mind, but one seems to lead very nicely on to the to the next one. So from the gossip, we're going to John
1: Grant. Indeed. Um, John Grant is somebody who people who love him, absolutely love him. And then there's like most other people have never heard of him. I'll often get people, oh, James Grant, and I'm like, no, no, he's good too, but <laughs> he's called John Grant, um, and I found him through my love of Midlake, I love Midlake, the Trials of An Panther album, is like probably one of my favourite albums, and John Grant is this incredible baritone singer-songwriter, plays piano, um, who is well-documented, had uh, addiction problems, had given up on music and was about to be like a really weird job like an interpreter for a hospital or something like that and mid heard these stuff and were basically like you can't give up music you have to do this come and record an album with us in our studio and we'll put it out in the world let's just see what happens so this song, um, JC Hates Faggots is from that album, Queen of Denmark Which was voted like number one album of two thousand and ten by a few music magazines, Um, and it's just a a complete gem. Um, uh, But this song kind of, for me, um, is slightly different to the rest of the album because it talks about his upbringing, talks about um, basically being brought up in a Methodist household, knowing he was gay, uh, like teetotalers, lots of churchy, you know, and is it any wonder that he ends up with addiction problems having lived his life in the closet, you know? Um, So this song, JC Hates Faggots is about his upbringing, about all the ridiculous things that religious zealots say. And it kind of shines a light on how ridiculous homophobia is as well, but it's just dead funny. He's like really clever, smart, funny lyrics. um, And they, I think that's another brilliant way to kind of combat hatred is just to make it funny. Yeah, yeah, it's like. It, Which is what he does really well. Yeah, and that's a very different
0: approach to the first two things that we've spoken about because then both yeah. of them are very directly, they're quite serious in their tone, the way they talk about emotion and things like that. Whereas yeah. if you're, you know, injecting a wee bit of like, irony or a bit of comedy into something that's another way of reaching a whole different kind of demographic of people and you know just affecting it
1: in a slightly
0: different yeah way. he just
1: has lots of really funny lines in it about you know jesus hating homos and he also hates five bean salad and, and the <laughs> news you know it's like anything that idea that anything we want you to to dislike and, and anything we can use to control you will just see that Jesus hates it and then that's it, that's the end of it kind of thing mm-hmm. um, so it's just a really clever and, and, and interesting way of of um, taking his pain I suppose uh, and turning it into something funny uh, on, on other songs, turning it into something beautiful um, it's, it's a brilliant album that I would highly recommend to anybody
0: yeah. out there <laughs> And uh, just one question about that before we move on uh, and just John Grant's kind of style and things like that is there anything particular about his like his style or his tone musically or otherwise that you would say is found in your own work you know like is there influences you're taking from him either consciously or subconsciously?
1: I mean again I feel like I'm like a parrot but again he has written so many songs that I wish I had written Mm -hmm. but I I read an interview and he said I I became successful in music when I started to write about things that I felt I shouldn't write about and he said as soon as I got into that uncomfortable place of good oh I shouldn't write about this like his dad being a massive homophobe well I shouldn't write but this, that was when you kind of hit the sweet spot and that is the stuff you really should write about because it's true and honest and people can smell it off you if you're being insincere. So for the last album I definitely took influence from him in that respect and that I wrote about things that were really close to home, um, things that I found really hard to write and sing about and then was really worried about releasing and so I kind of took um, strength from what he said and thinking that okay well if, if I'm finding it this hard then it's probably worthy of, mm-hmm. of the attention I'm giving it and, and of me putting it out there so and it's done now so I can't change yeah. it but uh, yeah I definitely took influence from just, just being honest being, being more honest in, in my lyrics.
0: And has the experience that you've had of releasing things that you were maybe a bit worried about
1: before, is that paid off, do you think? Yeah, I, I think it has paid off. I, I believe that the latest set of songs I've just released is my strongest to date. And um, in reflection, I probably uh, felt like the first few things I released were good and then I kind of had a big wall for a long time. And now I'm back to, okay, I'm, this is what I do and this is who I am and this is what I want to say. Yeah. Um, and again, throughout all of these songs, the, one of the biggest things that comes out of them is the courage mm. that these artists had in, in writing them and, and, and putting them out there. Because it's all very well writing something in your bedroom that nobody else is ever going to hear. It's terrifying to play it to your band, first off. Then it's terrifying to think, I think this is good enough to record this. What does this say about me? Making music for me is not easy. It doesn't come easy. Some people it does. i pour pore over it and worry about it and get anxious about it. I've got to a place where, although it might be uncomfortable, I'm producing, I've produced work that that I'm proud of and it's so hard to say that isn't it when you're from the west coast of Scotland fire <laughs> I'm, I'm proud and i'm glad they're out there now
0: yeah and i think i think with all of these things you know it's people have a very distinctive voice in each of the examples that you've chosen and i think that kind of thing takes time for an artist to work up to that to really kind of because it is that it's like that last bit of real vulnerability where it's you know it's really Mm. something about you that's extremely Mm. personal and you're attaching it to something that becomes very public and even more than playing it in front of a live audience if you record something then you know it's that fear of oh well who's you, you, it's kind of the unknown, isn't it? Of like you
1: don't really yeah. know who's going to be uh-huh. listening to it and how. Or, it. I, I, or it's like you write a song about something that you've never spoken about. Yeah. And I now inviting people to say to me, "I never knew about that. So how did that happen?" And they, because I don't want to talk yeah. about it, and, and that's why I didn't talk <laughs> about it. But. But I did write a song about it, and so now I have to be brave and put that song out there. And that's a scary thought as well. God, I'm I'm confessing stuff that my closest people maybe don't know, and uh, what are going to what's the repercussions of that? Mm-hmm. What's going to happen? and the, most of the time, nothing happens, apart from people are really supportive and yeah. lovely, but it's still terrifying before, yeah. before you do it. Yeah,
0: and, but I think that kind of goes back to what you were saying about taking the inspiration from what you heard John Grant saying about his work in that, you know, doing something that feels that tricky and you have this kind of conflict over whether it's the right thing or not is the thing that you know makes it worthwhile and worthy, you know? Yeah,
1: you just wish that you could fast forward six months and see that you're okay yeah
0: exactly <laughs> then go back and go okay we can put it out <laughs>
1: I have not had a nervous breakdown
0: and so finally your your very last track that you've picked is Late Bloomer by
1: Jenny Lewis so can
0: yeah. you tell us a little bit like about the background of this track like what it's about and then why it means so much to you as well
1: yeah I mean it's probably a bit less well it's not a protest song at all but it's more like a kind of experiential song and But um, one of the things I love about all these people that I've spoken about today is that they are real storytellers. And this is just a brilliant example of of a good story in a song. Um, Jenny Lewis was in Rilo Kiley. She kind of cut her teeth in Rilo Kiley and that came to her through the, the album Under a Black Light and her voice and her style just really spoke to me again you know, if somebody said, who do you want to be like, it would be, you know, her, she'd be a really good example. Jenny Lewis, Camera Obscura, these kind of artists who have a really great following, but can still go out, you know, for dinner with their loved ones without any hassle, but they get to pay the bills from, you know, from the music. Um, so she goes way deep for me, um, and uh, she released an album for few years ago and late bloomer is from that's from the voyager and it recounts i think it's a wee bit of artistic license but mainly an experience of hers of being just an angry teenager who takes herself off on a on a solo trip around europe and um, you know when it ends the song ends in a menage a Tau in paris and it's like <laughs> well that's a brilliant story you know that's great um and i just again there's real honesty in it you know it's um It recounts her kind of bi-curious years. Um, She's really honest about being just this moody wee teenager who takes herself off when her mum and dad are probably worried sick at home. Um, And uh, it's, it harks back to Dylan actually, we've kind of come full circle. The lyrics are so, every word is placed so perfectly um, and it just seems so effortless. You can't feel that hours have been poured over these lyrics, although there's about six or seven verses. It just sounds like somebody sitting, you know, round the table in the pub telling you this really brilliant story. And that's what I love about it. Um, And that, again, is a real benchmark. That would be what I would want to achieve Mm -hmm. when when Mm -hmm. writing a song.
0: Yeah. I think, as well, that kind of ties in with what we were speaking about earlier which was like that effortlessness that's in performance that other people don't realize isn't actually effortlessness but is like hours and hours and hours of work but that I think you know for performers is is that's the thing you're kind of looking for is to make it seem as if you know you've just one day just got up there with your your guitar or your band or a piano and just been like Oh, it just came to me in a dream, you know. Just bash this out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, and that's kind of a it's like an aspirational thing isn't it and I think you know you're always attracted to something that seems like you're you're really curious about like how that overall effect was achieved even though that you you know because you can relate to it on a professional level like that that yeah. isn't what's happened at all yeah as, as you know, uh-huh. blood sweat and tears is in this thing you know yeah, uh-huh. you're kind of going how how did how did they do it and it's
1: like this puzzle you know you really want to yeah yeah and it's kind of always almost- I always wonder if, like, people who make films, can they sit down on a Sunday night and just watch a movie and enjoy it for what it is? Or do they end up pouring over every detail and getting really technical? Are they a nightmare to watch films with? Because I know (laughs) that I can be a nightmare to listen to music with. Yes. Because I'm like, I wonder how they get that snare sound. That's brilliant. I need to write that down. You know, and it's like everything. So sometimes as a musician, A, I'm terrible to be in a music quiz with because people always go... Oh, you'll be good at this. I'm never good at this. I get that puts. as well. I have never. I'm
0: always wrong. And and then you're sitting there and you're and you feel so <laughs> inadequate because you're like uh-huh. I feel like uh, now yeah. I really should know this and I really, really uh-huh.
1: don't if I do wrong. <laughs> yeah. So I'm terrible to have in your team for the music round. Also, I quite often want to put music off and have silence, mm. like in the car or at home when we're when I'm cleaning or whatever, Jen. My wife is like a massive music fan. She has an encyclopedic knowledge of music. She's doesn't play. She's a social worker. Her and her dad are the biggest musos I know. She would have music on morning and the night. Actually, I find that a bit exhausting mm-hmm. because I'm always trying to break it down and analyse and not that the joy has gone out of music, but that just that part of my brain just engages whenever music is on. And so as a songwriter, I find it so lovely to hear a song like late bloomer because i think ah she's just nailed it yeah she's just smashed it there she's smashed out the park i wonder if she knows that she's smashed out the park or i wonder if she still goes well that third verse is still a bit clunky for me because to me it's just a wee slice of perfection and um often in music the simple things are the things that the hardest to do yeah and that's just a lovely example of a simple song that could play in an acoustic guitar just get you know guitar and vocal or you could play with an orchestra and it would be equally brilliant And to me it's just the mark of a really great song
0: yeah i think that those things that you're saying about the artist's experience of listening to music you know when when something is your profession but it's a source of entertainment for other people Mm -hmm. and i think something that i've been very aware of during this pandemic is is people saying like you know how Music really, really has pulled them through it. But for me, sometimes I find it actually too confronting to have music on mm-hmm. when something yeah. else is happening that's really quite painful to deal with or a struggle yeah. or a challenge. I, I absolutely get that. Yeah, you, yeah mm-hmm. well,
1: that's interesting that you all... Totally, yeah. And at that, at that stage, the last thing I want to do is to put music on. Yeah. Although if I was going to, I would go to something like classical that I really don't have enough of an understanding of in order for the technical part of my brain to to click in but that i still enjoy you know um i think yeah so i totally i totally hear what you're saying that that rings true it's like firing your brain up whereas for for other people music would be the sign of this is the start of the weekend or winding down down. yeah Mm -hmm. totally yeah that's a really that's it
0: yeah, yeah. In a nutshell. Yeah, yeah it's too, it's just yeah, over, overwhelming. And but I think like all the things that you've talked about, the, the four songs that you've you've the things you've said are about how, you know, they're protest songs in, in one way or they're Uh, songs about really deeply meaningful experiences that the songwriter has had you know all these things and then how how an artist listens to music and how that's different from you know somebody who's got no musical background whatsoever I think yeah it's it's been so nice to hear about all these things that have meant so much to
1: you yeah no it's been lovely to talk about it and it's um you you always learn something about yourself whenever you're asked to talk about things that mean stuff to you so yeah i think i'll go and listen to all these songs,
0: <laughs> and that's such a nice way to end i think and and thank you so much linney i i've really enjoyed this
1: likewise it's been lovely same time next week yeah let's
0: <laughs> <laughs> thanks for listening to this episode of amplified with linney carson linney has dedicated her latest single to greta thunberg it's called greta and is available for download on all platforms You can also find Lenny on Twitter at Lenny Carson. And if you'd like to hear her music, she's on YouTube, Spotify and Apple Music.